Hello, everyone. My name is Kate. And this is Colin. And you're listening to ArtWise. Hello, everyone. Happy Tuesday if you're listening to this episode the day it comes out. And if not, happy whatever day it is. Today with me, I have another awesome guest. This is Colin. I'm going to go ahead and just let you introduce yourself and talk about your background and whatever it is you're here on ArtWise to talk about. Great. Colin Dark. I'm a watercolorist by training. I've been drawing and creating art since I was probably five years old. And a few years ago, I started posting my process videos of me drawing with both my hands and those kind of went viral a few times. So it gave a nice little jump start to my art career again. And that's where I am now. So I have a question before we get into like the real questions. Is that just how you draw like all the time or is that for the camera? For the oh, this, could be, this could be a real question. So the story <laughs> is my son, my youngest child, my son was drawing with both his hands, kept switching back and forth between his hands while he was drawing something. And my mom watches our kids and she was there with my wife. And my wife is like, oh, that's so weird that he does that, that he switches back and forth. I'm like, oh, I did that at that age. My mom's like, oh, yeah, Colin struggled to figure out which which hand he was. And and then I mentioned to her, I'm like, yeah, I still, when I'm drawing or grading, if I'm doing a long drawing, I'm usually using my right hand to begin with. But if it's a weird angle, I just switch to my left hand. Or if my right hand gets tired, I switch to my left hand. And I've always been able to take notes and do stuff with my left hand if it just felt a little more comfortable and where I was sitting or, you know, I was just, you know, didn't think really anything of it, including like, you know, writing mirror writing and upside down and all that stuff. I've just always been able to do that. So didn't think that much of it. And then my wife was like, it, which my wife's known me since, you know, I was 19. So it's, she's known me for a while. So I mentioned that my mom actually mentioned that she too, like would always switch hands. So it's hereditary. And I had already started posting more on social media, just based on, do you know, Gary Vayner? It sounds familiar, but not off the top of my head. He's this entrepreneurial, like grind all the time type individual that does a lot of motivational speeches and, and books, but some of it's his opinions on how to really take off on social media. So I started like following his advice and like just posting more and more. And then I'm like, Oh, you know what? Based on that discussion, I'm like, I'll just start doing some of these drawings with both my hands. And I never did prior to doing it on TikTok. I never did those mirror drawings where I'm like Mm -hmm. drawing at the same time. So, so that was interesting. So I I started doing that, drawing at the same time, and then drawing like different things with each hand. And the mirror ones in particular, I find that I would actually, if I did do it, it would just be warming up before I did a real piece of art. Like I'd do a bunch of those 
you know, either drawing something or drawing nothing and just kind of scribbling, just to loosen up my hands. Or if you do, I don't know if you've ever done like figure drawing. So like when you do the quick newsprint, you do the charcoal drawings of people. So I would draw like those quick five minute drawings or 10 minute drawings. I would use both hands with that just because it's throwaway. So I was saying like this, that's kind of throwaway and I would just, you know, like, record that because it might be cool and it, those those took off and the mirror ones in particular i find that very relaxing so if it's at the beginning of the day trying to get my head in the right space or late at night i like to do those mirror drawings to calm down and then i start getting feedback from other people like they keep they watch some of those over and over again to calm down and like get the benefit of little art therapy so that's another motivation to keep doing it they are really cool to watch. Like my brain like has a hard time comprehending how you can do both sides at the same time with different because my my left hand's completely useless. I can barely <laughs> like pick up my shampoo bottle with it, you know? So I'm like <laughs> I wish like I just feel like life would be so easy if I could just swap hands if like my right hand got tired. No, I just like have to like deal with the cramps and like just power through. <laughs> so yeah i didn't even appreciate what a benefit it was but yeah it's fun and then there were some people that would draw videos of themselves drawing with both hands like because sometimes it's oh it's easy and then they draw it and it doesn't really look how they thought they would look but they tag me in and i love i love those videos oh my gosh i'll have to do that for you just so you can see how serious i am when i mean that my left hand is entirely useless and i'm mad too because i have a lot of people in my family who are left-handed and a couple of people who are ambidextrous and i'm like well the one trait i wanted i didn't get <laughs> so that's really cool though and i recommend anybody listening to this as well check out a colin colin dark is that how you pronounce your last name dark yep dark i appreciate colin you dark pronouncing on, it right <laughs> colin dark on tiktok the videos are incredible and they are they're really relaxing it does hurt my brain a little bit as an artist but if you're an if you're a non-drawing person like if you don't draw and you're not sitting there trying to to figure out how it's actually quite relaxing i appreciate that you you'd be surprised with my name how many people mispronounce it because i think it's very obvious it's just dark and it's got an e at the end that no you're not supposed to present pronounce but nine out of ten people mispronounce it usually yeah. they'll say drake or but i've gotten darche Darky. Okay. <laughs> Darche. Yeah. I'm like, all right. Yeah. That's nice. It's getting a little too fancy with it. But yeah, no, I, I can see how someone would get confused with the E. Sometimes when you add an E at the end of things, it changes how it sounds. So I just wanted to make sure. <laughs> now you got it right. So that out of the way, I, I did want to ask, I ask everybody on who comes on the podcast this question. How did you begin your art journey and like start out as an artist like what was the story behind that was becoming an artist something that you've just always wanted to do or did you figure that out later so it is something i've always done and let me try it so for as far back as i remember prior to like writing you know the alphabet i was drawing I'm the youngest of five and I have an older sister who is an artist. So we would create art together a lot and she would, you know, show me how to use certain 
art materials and my mom is an artist. She's not a practicing artist, but she would always create and she would, you know, give me art supplies all the time whenever I wanted them. She had art supplies. So I always had this, that that's what I was obsessed with and focused on. And then I could draw at a young age, pretty detailed artwork. And then you get, you know, positive reinforcement. So then of course you double down on it again. When I was particularly young, I also did like cartoons and caricatures, which are just fun. And then I feel when I got into high school, it was even more serious training. Like we did, I just had a good high school art teacher who really introduced me to critiques and more formal training. And at that point, I really thought that was going to be my focus, just being an artist. And I didn't really even want to apply to other school or really, yeah, like apply to school, period. But I eventually decided not to just go to art school. My sister that I was talking about, she she went to Parsons in New York and she came back after a year because she did not like the experience. And that was around the time I was applying to schools and I got in a few art schools that realized I didn't really have a good way to pay for anything. And there was a local local-ish, Western Michigan, it's on the west side of the state that my oldest brother actually went to. And they had a good art program. And so I went there to get a Bachelor of Fine Arts with a focus on watercolor painting. And really loved that experience. But again, it was, I had no money. So like I had to leave college for a little bit to work a few jobs to pay for school and it was a little frustrating. So then towards the end of that college experience, I decided to go to law school with, I have a brother that's 16 months older than I am. And he was taking the LSAT to go to law school and I'm somewhat competitive. So like he was taking the LSAT. So I want to <laughs> take the LSAT and do better than him. That's quite the switch <laughs> from art well, to law <laughs> yeah so with me being the youngest my dad my dad's an attorney and my mom's an artist and then we i have an older sister that's an artist another one that's interior designer and then another older brother that's an attorney so we're all that is that has always been my world is the it's law very... and art so it's not that weird of, to me it reminds me of legally blonde <laughs> yeah she's like a fashion designer and then she's just like i'm gonna go to harvard yeah like it's hard yeah <laughs> like, exactly yeah <laughs> that's really cool so something that you mentioned you wanted to talk about on the podcast was creativity tips that anybody can use i was just curious what are some of your favorite creativity tips for artists versus for non-creatives well everybody's a little bit creative but non-artists so for artists it's creating oh, i'm drawing a blank on the word right now but for like for artists it's it's creating a problem and this i guess is with non-artists alike of starting something even if it's bad so then you have to solve it and that's really gets my 
creative juices flowing, especially when I'll like sketch something out and then, you know, just start and then it's, you have to finish it. And that gets you like outside of your own head. And I love practices like that, including how Salvador Dali would have that, the famous story of like holding, I forget what it was, like a spoon in his hand, like above a plate. So then when he dozes off, it like crashes into the plate. So he wakes up. So then he's like, he has, it starts creating then because you kind of get out of your own way. And I'll do that where, because I've, so drawing with both my hands and creating with both my hands does that. It creates this challenge that I have to overcome and be creative about it. And I try not to lean on what I've done before. So if I have an idea, I kind of cross the initial idea out the first few ideas I have, and then go with whatever the third idea is. And then I try to create some friction for myself, which has been drawn with both hands. Then it could be material, different paper. I actually just got this sketchbook from Etched, which is, have you heard of that company? I don't think so. They make paper out of stone. Oh, I have. I have. Okay. (laughs) I've heard. It's fascinating. It's fascinating. So I've only done one drawing on it, but I'm like, it's weird to draw on. And I drew drew with these kind of felt tip markers. So I think I'm going to check later. I think I could even smear it away now, even though I drew yesterday morning on it. But that's another thing, like getting these materials that you're just not used to. So you can't kind of, you have to learn or you have to figure it out. And part of figuring out is really tapping into your creativity and protecting your protecting yourself against biases you may have on how something should be created or shouldn't be created for everyday people i think there's parallels to doing something like that of one not going with your first idea and just challenging yourself that way and then two just approaching and using a different method than you're used to and that's like exercising a muscle like the more you push yourself and pause to say like okay i'm approach this a different way the more you're going to get creative outcomes that a lot of my other practices are informed by my sister who's an artist she's also an art therapist so she'll give me like art therapy techniques and the one I love, especially for my, I've had at my company, my team members do art therapy programs or my kids do art therapy programs. And it's just scribbling on a piece of paper with, you know, no end goal in mind. And then you do like, you scribble all over the paper and then stop and you get colored pencils and all the little shapes that you created, you color those in. And if you're stressed and you do that, by the time you're done, you're like totally at ease and you've got this pretty cool looking piece of art that's totally abstract and came from nowhere. We actually had a, an art therapist on the podcast pretty recently. It was a Rochelle Lum's episode. If anybody listening to this wants to go back and look at that at some point. Art therapy is legit. Like it is so crazy too. And anybody, like you don't have to... There's always like, I hear, I don't know what the word for it is, but the, like a lot of people who are non-artists like don't want to do art out of fear. And she also taught classes. I'm sure a lot of artists have like for extra money at one point or another taught art classes before. And people really have like 
fear around making bad art, especially non-artists. Because like I feel like uh, like like artists who create regularly, like it's you know <laughs> not not everything you make is going to be good. You know what I mean? But like people who are non-artists go into a paint and sip like so stressed, like I'm going to ruin this canvas, and it's like or it's Every, crazy to me. Everybody's going to judge me. <laughs> Everyone's yeah. gonna make fun of me, which nobody does. And yeah. that, that is that is a thing that I like with even my business associates. It's overthinking things really makes life a little more stressful, and it also inhibits you from moving forward and failing. And in business and life and in art in particular, that's where all the fun stuff happens is when you get outside of your comfort zone and it's a little stretched and you do fail. And that's, it's liberating when you fail. It's liberating when I like mess up a drawing or a painting. I'm like, well, I'm going to do another one soon and maybe I can learn from this one. Maybe I can't. Same with, you know, any like business venture. It's, I'm going to try something if it doesn't work. I've at least learned something and I put myself out there and I, you know, grew in that way. And it is a lesson that there's a million ways to say it and try to advocate for people to get comfortable with that. But it's a constant dialogue, even with, you know, kids, it's like, you're not being judged on this. That's some of the ones where it's, it takes the pressure off because you're creating something abstract. I did one, program with my kids where it was kind of like a Helen Frankenthaler where you're just having the canvas it was paper but like having the material absorb just swatches of color so that's all you're focused on and then like at the end something cool happens but it takes away the you have to draw this duck or you have to draw this dog it's got to look realistic it's like you just have to create just to get out of your own head yeah, I definitely I think failure in and of itself is underrated. A lot of people are so afraid to fail, but failure, like more often than not, is the first step to getting to where you want to be. So like, I mean, if you are even like as like a beginner artist, like if you're just starting out, right, and you create something bad, that's like for me, when I make something that's not good, and I know it's not good, it's 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 good to one, have that self-awareness and two, have the knowing that whatever I make next is going to be better. So I, I do find it like a little bit funny when, when people who don't typically like create art say, well, no, I can't because it's going to come out bad, especially when there are things like art therapy that are made for everyone, not just artists that are like, it's clearly like scientifically proven to be so beneficial for like your mental health, your creativity, and people still get so afraid to, you know, mess it up. <laughs> so, right. yeah. So I was wondering if you had an opinion on this. How, how do you think increasing creativity, like doing things and doing exercises to increase your creativity, how do you think that can benefit you not only like in your in a creative profession but also outside of that as well it outside can you repeat the question i actually want to make sure i answer the exact question i was just gonna go off on a tangent so how, how can increasing creativity benefit you inside and outside of a creative profession 
So I, I did hear you correctly. And I was already thinking of this when you were talking about the failure and the self-awareness. So failing and having self-awareness and being part of those like critiques where you have colleagues or other artists or an art teacher giving feedback on something, which does give you self-awareness. And then it exercises that muscle of where you're critically thinking of how is this looking like, how, how is it progressing? I've got to trust the process. I'll keep going and then see if I'm able to save this piece of art or if I just keep on going and then I just overwork it and I have to throw it out just again, the failure and then move forward. And that's just a critical lesson for anybody outside of artists. And it's something where, like you mentioned, it was, it's, it sounds funny when I'm this attorney and an artist because it seems like it conflicts, but I 100% believe or wholeheartedly believe that because I've had all this training as an artist and practice as an artist, I'm able to come to problems and show up how I want to show up at work because I have this self-awareness and I have this comfort with failure and being aware that I don't know everything and that that awareness allows you to pause a lot of the time and be this lifelong learner where you're curious about things. So if something doesn't make sense, you'll you'll want to delve into it and admit it doesn't make sense rather than faking it. Like the faking it till you make it is silly. And it's it's more of, you know, we have rare opportunities just to learn and grow. So if there's any path to learn and grow in your job, personal life, or your art, like you have to take it because it just makes everything more enriching. And I've made a point throughout my career to one, let everybody know that I'm basically dual career and I create art. And sometimes I have to like go to art shows or, you know, go out of town for art. And then two, it's this grounding of not putting too much of my identity into the workplace because I'm always nurturing my creative side outside of the workplace and not hiding it and kind of doing it loudly so that it's not, it sets expectations for other people and it kind of puts boundaries, even it's a little subconscious at first, but it's, it's worked for my career. And I think that's critically important because a lot of times people get too wrapped up in their work life. And those are always the people that say they don't have time to create or to try a creative practice. And they do. And or I, I believe they do because it actually allows you to show up as more of your authentic self. So when you are working, you're being more impactful and you're being more productive because you're not burning out and you're not being this version of yourself that you want to just impress people with. And it's, it's that causes, even if you don't really appreciate it, that causes a stress that will just again, lead to burnout. 
And I've, I've always believed this. And then about six years ago, I helped my, this like family of companies that I work for, they were exploring a senior leadership training program. So I was part of this team that helped vet a couple of companies and then went through it early on and then became an executive coach through it. And a big part of what they do is allow giving people awareness and fostering people to lean into their creative side versus their reactionary tendencies. And a lot of that is in line with what I think a art practice does or creative creativity practice. And it just gives you this pause so that you are intentional about how you're showing up and that you're constantly trying to evolve and learn. Interesting. I have a question about your job in, in your career. So that's not, is your career like a creative career or is it just like a, like, what do you do outside of your (laughs) art career, I guess? (laughs) So I am general counsel, like the main attorney and compliance person for a fintech, which is part of my company is like 160 people, I think. Mm-hmm. And it's part of a broader family of companies, which is Rocket Mortgage, which I'm sure you've seen ads for Rocket Mortgage and everything. So my company's Rocket Loans, and there's a few other Rockets. And it's just this large public company. And so that's my day-to-day. But I do show up in my co- the coaching I do for my team and other executives, I feel is most in line with the creative aspect of my role or of my personality. And then it's the legal compliance aspect can be stressful because it's all the risks facing any particular company. And then the art practice that I make sure I do every single day helps me kind of mitigate any harmful effects of being overly stressed because I, if I'm creating art, I'm not thinking of work or anything else. I'm just thinking of the art and you do need to shut your brain off. Was it difficult to find that balance between like having and holding space for your art outside of having a career? Because that's something I hear a lot of artists who have a career outside of art creation And then they go home and they're just so drained that they don't feel like they can make time for art creation. Did it take like trial and and error for you to create space for art creation? Or was it kind of like, like immediate, like, oh, I'm just going to create space for art because it's important. Like what what did that process look like for you? It's definitely ebbed and flowed. So Mm. initially I, I made a promise to like draw every day because after my first year of law school, it was really just the first semester, I didn't really draw. I think I did like two drawings and prior to that I would draw every day. So I'm like, I can't have that. I can't like take all this time off from this thing that's been very fulfilling and that's been a part of me for my entire life because the next thing I know it'll be, I'll be 58 and say like, oh, I wish I stuck with art. You know, so then with that, I'm like, all right, 
early in the morning, I'm going to draw something, even if it's like a sketch or something really, if I fail, like we were talking about, if it's just silly, like I have to at least draw. And then that turned into like, I have to kind of create a series of something just so that I'm getting that out there and fulfilling like an idea. And then I feel like writing is sometimes tapping into the creative side, especially if you're writing about art or artists. So then I started doing that too, just because I also felt like if I work on my writing, that will help with my legal career too. Mm -hmm. So I was doing that and I like through first couple roles in the law and I I got a master's in another area of the law. It was working well, like I was able to balance that. And then I got a job private practice with a law firm and at that point I was like working nonstop and drawing and creating and showing my art pretty consistently and writing for a few magazines and blogs pretty consistently and running a lot like the half marathons and marathons pretty consistently and so as like I'm saying that, it's like kind of obvious to me. So then I burnt out. I actually got a weird virus where I had to go into the intensive care unit at a hospital where this like, because I was just draining myself so much and like not sleeping, I got susceptible to this weird, it was basically a ton of fluid around my heart and a ton of fluid around my lungs. So I couldn't really breathe. And yeah, so, so then I was like in the, and then, so then I'm in the hospital and one of the partners at the law firm is calling, trying to not calling to see if I'm okay, calling to see where a particular file was or like a particular thing. I had a, I had a legal secretary that put him in his place, but I'm like, wow, this just is not, it's, and it's not a good, it just was not a good environment for me. Yeah. One, one, because of that like not having a clue like that's inappropriate and not healthy. And two, with those private law firms, nobody really wants to talk and just, you know, the water cooler talk and just see how people are doing and see what their life's about because you're billing hours nonstop. So I love to talk and I would walk around to people's offices and I'd try to strike up a conversation. They'd be head down like, wanting to bill hours and like, all right, get out of my office dark. So I'm like, yeah, this isn't good. So then I went, I left the law firm life and then went to in-house at a, a bank. And then that was great, more in line with my personality and, and where, where I think my strengths are as an attorney, because it's like counseling and coming up with solutions, long-term solutions, and really getting to understand people and processes where that's not really what you do at a law firm. You just kind of get this distinct projects that you turn around. And so I was doing that for a while, and then I got recruited to come and help start this Rocket Loans fintech company. And that was really the best fit for me because it's just really impressive people that they a lot of them have these different hobbies outside of work they're all like interested in what everybody else has to say and so it's like fostered that way and that's been the best 
place yeah. for me so far. And it's, it's, I've been there for a little, like a little over seven years and it hasn't slowed down in terms of being a nurturing environment where I can be my authentic self. So that's, I've appreciated it. That's really, that's really good. I'm so glad that you found that. And when you were telling your story about being in the ICU, I had a similar experience, not not as dramatic, but I, I had a corporate job. I quit in, in May and I quit because of what had happened. But yeah, I was basically like, I was overworking myself. I was a corporate graphic designer, so I still... I had a creative job on top of, you know, I was trying to get my business up off the ground probably the entire last year that I was at that job. But I was so stressed that I was in and out of the emergency room for random things. And the saying is so true. And I, I'm sure a lot of other people, pretty much anybody who's worked in a, a job at a company or at a place that very clearly doesn't care about you as a person and really only cares more about getting the work done has experienced that too and the same exact thing happened I was I was in the emergency room at the time I didn't know what was wrong it turned out that I had stress-induced kidney stones which is very weird because I am young and I it's not normal for someone of my age and gender honestly <laughs> to have kidney stones and I thought I was dying and my boss was texting me and I was in the in the emergency room like pretty certain that I was going to die because <laughs> kidney stones are very painful and he was like oh did you finish this do you know where this file is we have a meeting and like are, are you going to be out of the emergency room in time for the zoom meeting or you think you can join in on your phone and I was like are you kidding me <laughs> I told you this morning that I was pretty certain that I would be dead by the end of the day and you're asking me where artwork is safe like that was the last straw for and then they wouldn't pay me for it too they wouldn't give me PTO so that was hilarious too. had like a doctor's note and everything and they were like well it's not it wasn't a serious enough condition because like I wasn't dying you know it was a kidney stone kidney stones don't usually kill people so right. they were like yeah no we can't like pay you for this because it was this happened in feb february no it was march this happened in march so i hadn't acquired enough pto to take off the time that i was in the hospital and they were like yeah we can't pay you for this like sorry so i was just working at my laptop like from the hospital like whatever <laughs> And it makes me so mad to hear that other companies, other places have done similar things to people. And it is very frustrating knowing that there are still places that treat people that way. It's just very like frustrating, especially when like your life is on the line and that all they care about is a file. <laughs> Priorities being a little off whack, very, very toxic. And it's, it's bad business too like one it's bad mm -hmm. how you're being a human because you're not being empathetic to other people but two that those are the places that have insane attrition like people quitting all the time and yeah. then you have to train people up and it's you have people stressed so they're not doing their their best work or not providing the value they can provide so it's like so easy to be nice and understanding Just yeah nice and understanding better for everybody yeah i i feel like it it does lead to pretty severe burnout i feel like even now even though this happened 
when was March? Oh, like six months ago, seven months ago. I don't know. I'm not good at math off the top of my head, even though it happened that long ago. And like, I did like quit that job after that whole situation. I still like, even now feel like I'm in, in like a recovery period. And I'm curious too, like on, on days, cause everybody has days where they don't feel like sitting down and creating art. Do you ever have times where like even though it's like kind of part of your routine to like make time for art creation outside of your job do you have times where you sometimes don't feel like it and in those situations do you just force yourself to do it anyways because you know it'll make you feel better or do you say you know what maybe I need a break from it for a little bit how do you handle those situations so forcing myself and it's the (laughs) you know creativity begets creativity so then i know like once you get into it it'll be rewarding that being said i stopped posting new artwork every day so i started because that that was more of the social media aspect the marketing Mm -hmm. aspect of the art career which is always a difficult thing to balance but i had been for a few years like posting and creating something new every day and i was having fun with that but then once it was becoming a little stressful i kind of paused doing that or putting pressure on myself to do that and once i missed a day of posting something new then it was the stress was off like i'm like all right i don't need to post every day so then i can be a little more thoughtful of what i'm creating and what i'm posting and i'm just also working on other artwork that I'm not posting and I, I might start posting some of it, but I like the idea of, all right, this, I was going away from like stealing this time for myself and my own mental health and the therapeutic part of it to stealing this time to do this art career and impress, you know, these followers and these other people, which that's not the mindset I should have. So I'm like, all right, I have to still steal time, but it truly has to be for myself. And then I'll get back into posting more because I do love sharing and getting the feedback through that. And if it is bringing joy to someone that means a lot to me, so I'll still get back into that, but I needed to put a little, you know, boundaries around myself. And, and I, I get a little obsessive with things. So knowing that about myself, I'm like, all right, I'm getting to the point where this is draining versus fulfilling. So I have to pump the brakes a little. Yeah, that's, that's definitely understandable. I feel like it's, it's hard for me to, to like approach that question that I just asked you about, like whether or not you should, you know, force yourself to create art even when you don't feel like it because like no matter no matter who you're talking to you could be the most passionate person in the world and there are going to be days where you don't want to sit down and do art and you're tired and you don't want to do it and it's it's hard to like come to terms with the fact that like consistency really is key and like there are going to be days when you don't want to do something And sometimes you just have to force yourself to do it anyway, because you know, like, it's good for you. Unless, you know, of course, like, if you're feeling, like, genuinely burnt out and you need recharge time, that's a little bit different. But, like, I feel like I'm coming to terms with 
how important consistency is. And that doesn't necessarily mean that I have to post new artwork on social media every day. Cause like, I think we all like everybody listening to this too, who probably, you know, posts or is active on social media as an artist, it's almost impossible to post new artwork every day. <laughs> like, especially if you're putting pressure on yourself to make something that you feel like is good enough to share with the world, that can be very difficult. So that that being said, I'm curious, in your application, you talked a little bit about the creativity habits of well-known artists, and you mentioned Salvador Dali a little bit earlier in the episode. What What is some of the most like interesting or notable things that you've found regarding the creativity habits of well-known artists? So goes the creativity habits that I lean on the most are Chuck Close and Stephen King, actually, and and it's the creative like what we were just talking about. It's even when you're you don't want to do it, like you kind of just push yourself to be creative and keep on creating and keep on showing up for yourself, and then you know you trust the process and new things happen and you're you know re-inspired you've pushed through the the getting beat down or like just being down on yourself or your art and then it kind of refreshes or revitalizes you when you just do the work and keep keep doing the work so that's why like i still create i just decided like all right i'm not going to post it i'm not doing those mirror drawings but i think it's i love i liked hearing that and that and in like the Stephen King in particular of just like, that's part of the job is just write this many words a day. And like, you know, he's just a very hard worker. So it's not luck. It's like talent, but it's also just putting in the work. And I found that fascinating. That that was kind of a constant reminder with all the creatives that I researched was they're all extreme. The ones that have made it, and the ones that we know of were all extremely hard workers and that I found fascinating. And it was just a good reminder because we always in our heads will simplify someone's narrative and kind of tell ourselves a story of, you know, they kind of fell into fame or fell into this notoriety. And then when you research it a little, it's like the overnight success actually took 10 years of real hard work. So mm-hmm. you should not put so much pressure. And that's also something where I used to, with social media in particular, I would post once a week and it would just be like this picture of a watercolor that I did and not really think of storytelling or how I would showcase the artwork. It was just like, here's this watercolor. And then I was annoyed, like it would get two likes. I'm like, but this is brilliant. This is this is something I work so hard on. But it's if you're not doing the storytelling and you're not letting people into, you know, that's being vulnerable. And that's another good lesson for artists and folks is like the the you know treasure of vulnerability. But not sharing anything, it's you know, why would anyone really care? It's mm-hmm. you. You have to give them a reason to care versus just, "Hey, I created this thing. Everybody should love it," and that shockingly doesn't work. Yeah, I think another thing too, talking about social media. I think 
something that a lot of artists, because I, through this podcast, I've had a, I've been really, really lucky to find a really supportive community of artists through this podcast. We have a Discord server with a bunch of artists. A lot of, a lot of the artists on the Discord server are beginners, but there's people at every level. There's like career professional artists who, you know, are like more corporate, like art director types. And then there's like beginners who are, you know, younger kids who are just looking for advice and for like a supportive community because they might not have that like in person and in real life. And I just, I feel like through, through that community, I've kind of been finding like finding like the right community of, of people and finding like my ideal audience for for me like posting on social media but something that i have kind of pushed myself out of my comfort zone to do that i don't think a lot of artists think about is instead of only posting art and obviously this isn't for everybody but like for for me personally instead of just posting art I have, you know, decided, okay, you know what, I can't post finished works every day. The stuff that I make for me to actually be proud of it takes 16, 17 hours, sometimes more. But on average, that's how long it takes. And I can't do that every day, (laughs) like a finished work to post on TikTok every single day. Um, And process videos are good, right? But a lot of the videos that I've found and connected with my people and a lot of people who listen to this podcast are just me talking and being authentic and having self-discipline. And I feel like when I talk to a lot of beginner artists who are trying to make a career for themselves on social media, they get so frustrated because like you were saying with like posting a video of like, you know, these like crazy, insanely beautiful finished watercolor pieces or what have you people they'll get like a couple views because like there's no story behind it or there's no like there's no personal like intimate connection between like the creator and the viewer and I feel like that's something a lot of artists forget because they they say oh this beautiful art I've created look at it and it's like well yeah but we're in the age of social media where it's all videos now you have TikTok, you have Instagram reels, everything is videos. If you're not showing a process or if you're not making a connection with the viewer, I feel like that content doesn't do nearly as well as like, for example, like me going on my TikTok and like just talking about what's on my mind. And like, you know, even if it's not (laughs) all sunshine and rainbows, like I feel like it's a lot easier being, you know, authentic, like you said, creating a story or a narrative or something for people to follow along and relate to and connect with. It's, it can be really difficult. Social media is hard. (laughs) (laughs) I I, I think that goes towards what I was saying at the beginning too, which I found one, it's the lifelong learning and it's the creating friction or a problem or conflict to spur creativity. And that's, I've just studied a lot of the other like influencers and what they're doing and even taking like little classes or learn new art techniques because I was getting frustrated, but then I'm like, all right, this is actually another problem to solve. And like, how can I approach this where I'm doing something new and I'm challenging myself? So I've been, I've been focused on that a lot as well. Yeah, that's, yeah. 
it, it's interesting too because sometimes when we're talking about self-awareness and critiques sometimes the critiques are valid on social media because you want to say like oh it's just this one you know algorithm at tiktok that doesn't put value in this piece of work but then i'll like i'll post similar things on tiktok instagram and youtube and then if they all get a few thousand views i'm like all right that's i created something pretty cool and it might take off on one or the other but then if they're all getting like a like 10 views or a couple hundred views i'm like all right on tiktok and on instagram and youtube this piece isn't working for anybody i'm like maybe it is the piece and not just the social media yeah social media it's really it's like i i'm just i feel like i'm just kind of coming into my i don't even know how to word this like i'm coming into my yeah my voice yeah and a part of me kind of hates where it's going because most recently I I posted a video basically and I I, like thinking back on it I'm not necessarily proud of this because I I want my social media to be a positive space but I was just feeling very sensitive and I've been getting a lot of like negative comments on my social media and hate comments and not even necessarily critique but just people being mean because people do that on social media and i made a video about it and it it blew up because and i think the reason it blew up is because there was so many people who could relate to it and while i'm happy to have made that connection with people i'm also like great now i'm going to be that person who blew up for complaining and i don't want to be that person but like at the same time it was really it was authentic to what what I was feeling at the time that I posted it. So I don't know, it's like a social media is just like, I have a love hate relationship with it because of course I have to be present and I have to be there for myself, for my business, for what I do as an artist. But sometimes I hate it. <laughs> yeah, yes. I can appreciate that. It's also as an artist in which it seems like social media goes against this, but it, it does feed into it sometimes where you have the license to recreate yourself at any point in time. So even if you're doing one thing and you're finding some success or value in that, you're a creative. So you can pause and say like, all right, I want to be, you know, an oil painter now, or I want to do photography now. And then you're allowed to do that. Like no one's stopping you from doing that. So it's liberating in that sense. Yes, there are no rules. Right. So another question I had, this is kind of backtracking a little bit, but I was curious, you, you talked about your, your career outside of, of artwork. Um, how, how does your, like your leadership role in, in leadership development, how does that overlap with developing creativity? It's about self-awareness. So it, is in line with that where with creativity it's trying to be your authentic self and because if you're your authentic self by default whatever you create is going to be something new and creative where there's this sense that everything's been done but not everything's been done by you and no one's lived your life so anything you bring in especially if you're not trying to copy someone and you're not trying to repeat something and you go to the you know, throwing out a couple ideas and challenging some assumptions that you've had, then you can bring yourself and that unique voice and those unique stories to wherever you go. And it's 
important in art, but it's also important in showing up in the office. And that's often what the, the coaching is about because for one reason or another, and it's often this baggage that we have from previous roles. So like we both talked about some negative work experiences. So we'll have this because everybody's a creative person, like we talked about. And so there's a lot of benefits to that. There's some drawbacks. One of the drawbacks is you might see your boss walking down the hall, looking upset, and you have no idea why your boss is upset or what's going to happen. But because we're creative, we start making stuff up instantly in our heads. And so we'll fall back on some reactionary behavior and say, oh, no, he's mad at me or she's going to yell at me about X, Y, Z. And then if you're not practicing pausing and showing up purposefully and having that self-awareness, you fall into old habits that kind of got you out of sticky situations in the past. And one might be being argumentative or it could be being distant, which when the person comes to your desk, you're, you're, you're there, but you're not there. You're like disassociating with the whole issue and just letting whatever comes across kind of flow over you, whether it's negative or positive, because you're not really there. And that's, worked like in school or you know in the past or with family members and you're depriving yourself of like a creative interaction where if you are showing up how you want to show up and approaching it like this creative problem to be solved you start thinking of like all right i don't know what this is about but let's let's solve whatever problems coming up and so then when when the leader or the boss comes up to you and says you know, oh, we have this issue with blah, 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 then you, you're, you're there, like you're showing up as your authentic self. So then you can start problem solving and have fun with and have a real conversation. And that's something across the board. And everybody works on and has to work on because we are like our past a lot. We've been given a lot of tools, both good tools and bad tools and that have gotten us out of sticky situations or stressful situations. So learning which ones are productive, which ones are not productive, which ones can be productive in limited use versus like the ones like, you know, being courageously authentic in a meeting, like that's going to really have long-term, you know, positive impact on your mental health and just impact you're making to the company. And it's this constant self-awareness. And it's usually, it comes from delving into like a, a business relationship or meeting that went poorly or one that went particularly well and critiquing it, thinking about it. So like, okay, how did I show up? It was that the reason this kind of went off the rails? How could I show up better next time? All right, I'll, you know, I'll remember this for next time. Or how did I show up that meeting really well? Like, what was I doing that like helped facilitate that? All right, I'm going to double down on that. And so it does go into this mindset that you automatically foster if you're an artist and something that every person that's in a workforce or dealing with other people, which we all are, 
these it's you know it comes into relationships too that we can all work on and the better we get the happier we are because we're not making up these stories and we're actually showing up how we want to show up versus just leaning on something that we do because we did it when we were 14 and it helped us out yeah yeah i don't have anything to add to that it was beautifully said (laughs) sometimes i'm like not the best podcast host because i'm just like (laughs) you know you you got you got it we're we're coming up on an hour so i'm gonna ask you one last question and then i will let you do like your self self promo and then we'll wrap up the episode so this is something that i ask everybody everybody who comes on the podcast i think it's like an important question for self-reflection and growth and that question is what advice would you give your younger self regarding your your art career your art self is is there anything that you wish you would have done differently the (laughs) into what i was talking about before is you know it's hard work and you have to put in the work well i created all the time and i like to create the business side of it or just the promotional side i truly only got a handle of it you know i'm 45 so i got a handle of it like with in the past five years (laughs) so i wish you know when i was younger that i kind of had that mindset and had the like just because you love doing this doesn't mean like you don't have to put in a lot of work and a lot of hard work to get the results and be the best version of your artist self and I really wish I just got that lesson a little earlier, but better late than never. Yeah, no, that's that's really good. It's funny to hear you say that too, because I feel like by hosting this podcast and by carefully curating that final question for everybody, I'm just stealing everybody's advice who's like a more has more experience in the art industry. And I'm like, I'm going to use all of the <laughs> No, I love that. That's Scam like the right way through it. <laughs> When, when I I used to interview people a lot, like usually written interviews, but not a podcast is prior to like podcasts really taking off. And I would ask them questions like about their career and like how they handled problems just to steal it. I'm like, here's something <laughs> that's been bugging me for a while. How should I approach this? But that's, that's smart. A lot of stuff I do steal. That's one of them that I'm going to probably steal. It's yeah. <laughs> another creativity tip. All right. Well, um, I am am going to let you do your self promo time. So anywhere, anywhere, anywhere that people can find you or support you, I'm just going to give the floor to you. Anything at all that you want to promote, the floor is yours. I appreciate it. So you can find me on pretty much any social media platform. I'm probably most active on TikTok, YouTube, and Instagram. And it's just my name, C-O-L-I-N-D-A-R-K-E. And I try to post or do something every day. And so you can always find me on there. And I do go through my DMs and messages and comments anytime someone comments. So I encourage anyone to comment on any of the things I post and ask me questions or give me suggestions of something you want me to draw because that's another way to spur creativity is just taking requests. And then I have my own website, which is just the letter C, the letter T, and then D-A-R-K-E, so ctdark.com. 
And I post, I curate that more, obviously, but a lot of my writing and a lot of my creativity tips and just stuff I find inspirational, I will curate on there. And I'm, I have some classes that I'm finalizing that I'm just going to put up there. It's just tips on tapping into your creativity. The other is just like intro to drawing tips. And then I'm have like a little store just for art prints and some art supplies. Awesome. Okay, cool. So everyone listening, I'm going to include links to everything in the episode description for easy access. So if you want to check out any of that stuff, it'll be in the episode description. But thank you so much, Colin, for coming on and taking time out of your day to talk to me. It was a really, really fun episode. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. All right. And thank you guys all for for listening. And don't forget, if you have any friends who are into art or into art podcasts or into podcasts in general, don't forget to tell them about us. We have a Discord server for it's a community full of really fun, supportive artists. We also have merch on my website. All of that will also be linked below in the episode description. And yeah, thank you guys so much for listening. And thank you again, Colin, for coming on. And I will see all of you guys again next Tuesday. Bye, everyone.